Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Heavenly Father, we come again with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, we're asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and shortcomings and transgressions, Lord, and everything... Lord, that comes against us, Lord, in your spirit. I'm asking, Lord, for this time, Lord, we're grateful that you have given us good health and perfect peace, that you have kept us, Lord, through thick and thin. And we're just grateful, Lord, now for all that you plan on doing, everything you mean for us to learn, everything that you want to teach us today, Lord. Let us receive it with thanksgiving. Let us accept correction in our lives, Lord, because without it, without the correction of your word, We are bastards, and there is nothing that we can do. But you love us so much, Lord, that you want us washed in your word. You want us bathed in your truth. And I'm asking, Lord, that we yield our vessels to make the process a lot easier on us. So in the name of Jesus, I bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, envy, hatred, rejection, Lord, every spirit of unbelief, open the eyes of those who can't see and the ears who can't hear. For we know that the enemy, Lord, is who blinds the minds and the eyes of your people or those who don't believe. So I'm asking, Lord, that you keep us stuck on your truth and that we become doers and not just hearers of the word. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true and worthy to be praised. Lord, I'm asking that we do these things for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, so tonight's study is going to be called, you know, I felt led to um, speak on the subject, but it's called Spectators and Participators. Um, When you go through the body of Christ and you look at a lot of things, you see how this just plays out so much in society there will always be more spectators than there are participators. I don't care if you're talking sporting events. I don't care if you talk work in the church. I don't care where you go. You'll always find, even for the few that build skyscrapers, you got a whole city sitting there and watching it get done. Okay, so the spectators will always outweigh the participators. But one thing we have to make sure is that we aren't spectators because they don't make it into the kingdom of God. So it's one of the things where even Jesus said, he that does not do the will of my father will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, you know, we can't get upset with Jesus saying, well, you know, you gave us grace. You gave us this. Why would you want to, why does it feel like we have to do something? You're not earning your salvation. What you're doing is you received, you know, your salvation through faith. But if you have faith, then you're going to have good works. So one of the key points is, There's nothing in this world that works that way. If you don't work, you don't get paid. I mean, so, but we can look at the world that way and say, okay, well, the world feels this way and, you know, it's right. If I don't work, I don't deserve to get paid. But then we look at God as if he's got some kind of unfair thing going on. Like, 
well, Lord, why are you, you know, why do I have to do something for you? When if the world told you to do it, you could care less. You've jumped to the idea. So we can't sell the Lord short on anything that he desires for us when the world is run the exact same way. Now, I'm not saying the two are the same, but there is nowhere in this world that you get rewards upon non-participation, nor working for what you need or, or what you have. There are good deeds that some do for us and we do for others, but that is the will of God. You know, it's not a selfless thing. It's not about you. It's what you do for the kingdom of God. So Jesus said, he that is not with me, they scattereth. So some people may not look at themselves as, well, I'm not a fornicator. I'm not, I'm not this. I'm not that. I don't lie. I don't steal. But you also don't bring in the harvest. So you're not really a participant in the kingdom of God. You know, if you're not gathering, then that means you're scattering. Because for every person you walk by that we could be telling the truth to, and we don't, it says a lot. You know, why should their salvation be sold short and we have ours? You know, I thank God that he got the truth to me through people and through, uh, through others. Many of us receive the truth that way. So we should be just as willing to want everyone else to be sold on that truth. So that way the work can be done for the kingdom. Because we're working for the Lord first and everything else second. So before we get into this lesson, um, I'm not sure who's going to present first, Sarah or Carlin. You got something, all right? Oh, all right, cool. Uh, whoever's going to present first between the two of you and... After that, we'll get right into it. All right, I'll have us go to Psalm 71. Psalm 71. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. Deliver me in thy righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline thine ear unto me and save me. Be thou my strong habitation whereunto I may continually resort. Thou hast given me commandment to save me, for thou, ha for thou art my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the upright, of the unrighteous and cruel man. For thou art my hope, O Lord God, thou art my trust for my youth. By thee have I been upholding upon, upholding up, up, holding up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall continually be continually of thee. I am as a wonder unto many, but thou art my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. Cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. For mine enemies speak against me, and they lay wait for my soul. My soul take counsel together, saying, God hath forsaken him. Persecute and take him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be now far be not far from me. O my God, make haste for my help. Let them be confounded and consumed that are 
that are adversaries to my soul. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor that seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will be and will and will yet praise thee more and more. My mouth shall shew forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day. For I know that the for I know not the numbers thereof. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Now also, when I am, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not, until I have shewed thy strength unto this generation, and thy power to every one that is come. Thy righteousness also, O God, is very high. Who has done great things, O God, who was like unto thee? Thou which hath shewed me great and sore trouble, shalt quicken me again, and shalt bring me up again from the depths of the earth. Thou shalt increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. I will also praise thee with the psaltery, even thy truth, O my God. Unto thee will I sing with the harp. O thou Holy One of Israel, my lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing unto thee, and my soul which thou hast redeemed. My tongue also shall take of thy righteousness all the day long. For they are confounded, for they are brought unto shame, they that seek my hurt. So the reason why I wanted to read this psalm especially is because I believe that we all as Walker, or as followers of Jesus Christ and this is something that I am dealing with too is we have to have a testimony with Jesus Christ and this um, really speaks out about how um, we are to you know we need like Derek was saying we need to be talking about Christ in every chance that we get and it's just something you know especially for me at the place where I'm at I am looking at it through Asking the Lord, who is it that you want me to talk to while I'm here? Why am I here, Lord? What do you have for me in store? Who is it that I'm here for to talk to? And, you know, I have been talking to a couple of individuals at work. And so, but it's just, in every situation that we are in, that's how we should be looking at it. And again, like I'm saying, that's something that the Lord's put upon my heart as well. Everywhere we go, not just... In a in you know in Bible study, but it's like everywhere you know it's like the fire needs to burn within us. That this is my testimony that I want to have with the Lord, and it also comes in a life of prayer and fasting as well. You know I know that when I pray and fast more often, that you know it's like the Lord's voice is just that much clearer. It's like man, you know I can really feel Him next to me. And again, I know I need to be fasting a lot more often than I do. But it's like you just really do hear the Lord, the Lord's voice on that. But it is about a testimony that we have with the Lord. What is our testimony? What are we really wanting to do for Him, for His glory? Not in our own, you know, carnal nature, but what is it for Him? So, and also real quick, I just want to read Mark 5 and 19. How be it, Jesus? Um, this is uh, Mark chapter 5. You guys know it's when the, there was... Jesus healed the gathering demoniac. In Mark 5, 19, he says, Howbeit Jesus suffered him. Well, he wanted to go with Jesus. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friend and tell them 
how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and how and hath had compassion on thee. So, I mean, that's just one of the things that we're, you know, as a, again, as a follower of Christ, that it, you know, it needs to be within us, that we want to tell our family and our friends and everyone's around us, hey, this is what the Lord's done for me. I know what he's done for me in my life. And when I talk to someone and they may be dealing with alcoholism or, you know, some other things in their life, I know that the Lord's pulled me out of that, so it's like, hey, does he want me to share this experience with them? So that experience can be used to bring them out of that situation. And I know that that's what my testimony, one of my testimonies in the Lord is, that he healed me from, was that, and, you know, other things too. So it's just, you know, that's again what I wanted to present tonight is, you know, us wanting to have a testimony with the Lord. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely need that. Mm -hmm. All right. So, once again, I always say it, but feel free to be a um, participator if you want. Like, anything that pops in your head, feel free to interrupt me. So, I'll have us start off in 1 Corinthians 12. concerning spiritual gifts brethren I would have you I would not have you ignorant ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols even as ye were led wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but the Holy Ghost I don't know I thought this was just this part right here was awesome because lately I feel like I've really been getting in touch with the Holy Ghost and just like be becoming overcome by its presence I, I just feel like it's just like a giant blanket that just like wraps in you and it's just like the, the best like most comforting feeling ever mm -hmm. and so it says now there are diversities of gifts but the, but the same spirit and there were differences of administrations but the same Lord and there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another divers of kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one in the, in the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man uh, severally. severally as he will. For as the body is one and have many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So like this was such a great reminder for me, because just 
when I work, I just I work retail and I deal with like all kinds of different people, you know. And the more discerning I become, I start to see like, I guess in the people's eyes, you know, and there's something that the eyes kind of give off, you know. There's like a scripture that says it's like the lamp of like how much light is in you or something along those lines, you know. And lately, since I've been like fasting and praying, I've been just trying to like protect myself, I guess almost against real life when I think about it, you know, because I can hear so much more and I'm so much sens- so much more sensitive to things. Mm-hmm. And then I forget that all in all, I mean, we are children of God. God, mm-hmm. Jesus died for all of our sins, you know, and instead of like trying to protect myself and push people away, I need to show more love, like no matter what kind of effort it takes, because I'm supposed to be a servant of God, you know, I should feel low and I need to humble myself and really truly reach out and try to show the light. Alright, have you guys jump over to twelve eighteen. But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. So I think this is super important too. Um, along with that, just understanding that we are one in in the body of Christ. Um, so I'll jump down to 12.23. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow our, our more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but all that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet shew I unto you a more excellent way. Um, I've read too that more excellently. I don't know if you're going to get into this. Is like love, like love is God's biggest commandment for each other. Love. What scripture is that? That's perfect. That's exactly where um, I was on my way. I don't really know. Uh, if you keep going in thirteen, I think yeah. it talks about it. Yeah. yeah. All right, keep going. No, Sorry. that's awesome. No, thank you. Um, I'll have you jump to, well, yeah, here thirteen two. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have no charity, which charity is love, you know, like Christina's saying, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up so right there just having love for everybody you know like no matter how much it hurts like 
there's like a, a couple that comes into my work quite quite a bit and they're like going through something pretty rough in their life and I know that they enjoy spending time with me because I think I am for them right now in the time that they are that light you know and it's just Christ you know and I haven't really had the chance to like really get down to it with them you know and like I, I don't think I don't think that's like really an excuse for me anymore. I think like the next time I see them, that's something that I need to address with them. Like I gave the father a hug. He just lost his, uh, he just lost his dad and I gave him a hug and it's weird. Like I was just overcome. Like it just felt like this like huge hole in my heart and like, I didn't understand it. You know, I didn't know if it was like something like spiritually, like, so for a little bit, I was like pushing that away, you know? And then I just felt like God was just t talking to me like this is real life, like pain's real, you know, and it's like us all being similar members and like all in the body, no matter where our beliefs are, we all serve the same God, whether they know like that Jesus Christ died for us or not, it's my duty to share that with them, you know, right. and that would be loving of me. Right. But um, have you guys jump over to 14? Real quickly, you know. Like, the Lord showed you that, you know, that pain. And you know a way to heal that, which is Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so you keeping that salvation from them, that opportunity from them, is kind of doing injustice, you know, to that person. Mm -hmm. It's true. That it's could true. be said about us all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. if we were really, you know, I mean, out there doing it, mm -hmm. I mean, this place should be, man, we should. You know what I mean? It should be moved on to, we can always do more for the kingdom. But the mm -hmm. fact that, like Christina said, that the Lord gave you that to mm -hmm. see or to feel, mm -hmm. it's also to act upon. Because our God is not just one of feelings mm -hmm. or words. He's, you know, well, now that you know, mm -hmm. now that you felt, now that you heard, you know, get <laughs> to it. Right. <laughs> so he lights that fire to get you up. And so like, true. Hey. Well, I, I really appreciate that, guys. Yeah. And uh, so the last 14 one, um, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophecy. For the, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the spirit he speak mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church, which is the body and all the members. So, I mean, that's, that's what I have for you guys today. Thanks for letting me share. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So before we get going, um, I want to play a clip of a guy I consider my pastor. You know, he's... um kind of like a back, you know, like a country boy, country guy. So he has like that, you know, southern, you know, drawl. But uh, this guy speaks truth, and he doesn't hold back much of anything. So I think we need to hear what he has to say. I mean, I've learned so much from this guy that I'm, um, I'm um, I've learned so much from him. And every now and then, we need an in-your-face pastor. You need someone to make you feel something, you know, to be able to light a fire in us, because I think that what's missing is correction today. So we're going to hear this, and then we'll get right into the lesson. Not now. 
Look at the smiley people in Seattle. Why are all the lift drivers so... Mm. There you go. This is Gary Price, and it's called uh, Ignorance is Not Bliss. Impossible. 
When you got that thing birthed in you, and it begins to grow and organically expand its territory, the apostle says, I'm laboring with you in birth pains until Christ is formed in you. When Christ is formed, somebody's going to be impacted because your words are going to be words that are spirit that produce what? Life. My words are spirit, Jesus said, and they are life. You're going to replicate and reproduce after your own kind. So that's how ministry actually begins to expand and people begin to grow, grow and go in it. In other words, you, this is not my job. I feed sheep. I don't replicate sheep. When they come in, after you do the work of the ministry, I'll feed them. But as far as me going out here and, and actually talking to the person next to me, in my own personal relationship with Christ, I do that, is I have to reproduce after my own kind and personal interactions with people, having relationships built to actually reproduce Christ. But as far as the standing, organized, formal church of the firstborn, when we come in congregational settings and in teaching seminars and presentations, I'll feed them. But as far as reproducing them, the Bible says you should be made mature. The Bible says he gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to perfect, mature the saints so that they can do the work of the ministry, which is evangelical reproduction. So all you got to do is examine yourself, and you'll find out that you ain't got it if you ain't reproducing. You're just around as dead weight. You have no value to God. There's nothing he can do through you. There's nobody reached. And most of the time, you sit around thinking about your own silly problems all day. And you have a litany of nothing but your problems all day long. You're circling the wilderness of your own life, your own selfish dictates, your own selfish problems. And you go round and round on that merry-go-round forever. Never being of any use to God. You'll die like that and go wherever you go. God only knows where you go. But you can kid yourself to believe you're in it all along the trail. He, he looks at those people and says, depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. And the response is, I've cast out devils in your name. I've done all this stuff in your name. I never knew you. I don't even know you. Because you can religiously do works that are not life-giving works. You see, you're going to go and join a church and a ministry and begin to do, you know, di dictated things in ministries that have no production in God's kingdom. So, you know, you're in the choir. You clean the bathrooms in the church. You go out there and garden for the church. You do all this stuff. And you'll convince yourself, I'm serving God. But if there's no evangelical reproduction in you as an individual, you're just dead weight. You're not around doing anything that's producing life. It's, maturity can be monitored by the production of life. And that makes everybody with all this religious church talk have to stop. Shut up. Sit down somewhere. Get off of Facebook trying to post your silly post all day. <laughs> until you've been forced into the image of Christ to reproduce Christ. All you're doing is just giving your philosophical, theological viewpoints on nothingness. Because it has no benefit to anyone. It's just a bunch of empty-headed dribble about junk you know. Because <laughs> it doesn't produce life. And you debate all day and try to talk about messages and try to append your approval to stuff that people say is. But is there anybody next, sitting next to you that has to be produced by you? I mean, it's normal. If you look at Brian and Mallory, their kids are out of town right now. But if they come in town back from their grandmother and grandfather, 
there'll be three kids sitting there because they came together in, co together in covenant and out of the loins came life. You join the Christ and you're going to produce some kids. If you don't, you better find out if you got a barren womb or something, there's something wrong with you. Your semen count is low or something. There's <laughs> <laughs> something wrong with you. And see, the word is spiritual semen. If you got no word, you got no life. One second, guys. You know this is the enemy. Mm -hmm. The entity in you to produce life. You're just hanging around. You never study to show yourself approved. You go to church services. You listen to Bible studies. But you have no intimate relationship with Christ to produce any life. And you can hang around here forever and just be a dead weight hanging around just doing stuff. And, you know, nobody cares because the message is directed to the remnant. Out of a group like this, you might get two people that mean business. And they'll do the job, and that's all God has to work with. Everything God does always will whittle down to a remnant. It's only a remnant. It's a remnant of the Jews that will be saved. God only deals with the people that really are productive and are really in contact with him to make an impact. So you'll see now, you scatter seed. You know, as we stand right here on the live stream, this is going to broadcast over the whole world. I don't know who it hits. You know, I'm not conscious of the numbers and who's listening and who's not. We don't take a head count. David made the mistake of trying to number Israel. That was a bad mistake. He got in trouble for doing that. Because he was trying to look at numbers to think that he had impact based on a large army. Gideon felt real good with 32,000 folk until God told him what? You got too many folk, man. You got too many folks. We're going to cut this thing down by 10,000 folk to 22,000. So they said, okay, 22,000. I still feel pretty good. I'm safe. He's a hold it. Whoa, whoa. It's too many folk, man. We got to cut this thing down to 300. 10%? You mean to tell me 90%, 9 out of every 10 people in church are dead weight, useless, unproductive? It's Gideon's army. So in any given environment, you'll take for granted you're in and you'll be out. And all you got to do, I say, I always say this, check the seat next to you. Just look at it. If there's an empty seat next to you, you need to go back to the drawing board and find out from God, what am I lacking? Where is the power of God to reproduce after my own kind? My quest is to become an evangelical Christian that's reproducing after my own kind. And once you get outflow away from you that's impacting other people, you, you'll lose consciousness of yourself and all your problems will dissolve. Every problem has at its root selfishness. So when I'm actually producing for God and I'm about the Father's business, this is why Jesus never thought about himself. He said, I must be about my Father's business. Everybody that goes about doing the Father's business is not conscious of themselves. And so they're out there reproducing. They're out there doing the works of the ministry. They're led by the Holy Ghost as a child of God. Those that are led by the Spirit of God are the true sons of God. That's maturity. You're no longer a spectator. You're a participator. 
This, this, is, this is infallible. The seat next to you is your witness, either for you or against you. So you got to look at the seat next to you. That's your witness. I can't give it to you. I ain't got to bring it up. The seat next to you indicates what you really are. So stop mentally ascending to being something that you're not. You're not reproducing after your own kind. Just be quiet. Shut up. Sit down. Until Christ be formed in you to really reproduce other Christians like yourself. That's the way it works. It's infallible. God has designed it that way to give you a self-check about where you really are in God. It's perfect, man. It's perfect. Infallible. You have to get mad at me about it. You have to argue with me about it. You have to look around the room to see who brought somebody else. Because that won't get you in. As a matter of fact, you you lose consciousness of anybody else because I'm doing the work of the ministry myself. I don't have to worry about a minister because I am the minister. I am the servant of the human race, and I'm reproducing saints. I don't know about I don't know what they're doing. Don't ask me. I don't know. I don't know what I hey, I don't know what they're doing. And they put on the internet an IDK. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is I got my directives. And God told me to reach out to this brother right here working next to me on the job. I reached out to the brother, gave him the word, gave him the ministry messages, gave him information, gave him a book he should read. I, I dealt with it. I got a woman working next to me down on the assembly line. I approached her. She had some problems. I gave her what she needed. She was drawn to me. I fed her. And she came on in, and that's all I know. That was my job at that particular place at that particular time. The woman behind me in the, in the store line at Walmart began to chat with me a little bit. I was able to, able to show her some things, give her some information. She caught hold of me. She called me that night and wanted to know more. See, that's what this trench warfare, all this highfalutin church stuff, is garbage. Coming to services every week, garbage. Hanging around prayer meetings, garbage. Until you reproduce after your own kind, you're dead weight hanging around with no productivity. God is trying to save 7.4 billion people and you keep praying to him about your Mickey Mouse problems. <laughs> he said, look, you be about my business, I'll take, I'll take care of your problems. You get about my business, God speaking, I'll take care of your problems. But as long as you're not in servitude to God taking care of his business, why do you want him to take care of yours? That's crazy. God is not a welfare God. He takes care of those that take care of his business. And Jesus said, I'm always about my father's business. That's how you secure yourself. These are lessons that cannot be taught. I can indicate them and tell you about it, but I can't change the inner makeup of your soul that you become productive in God in and for yourself. As we get closer to the end, that's where the wheat and tares separate. Wheat, reproduce wheat. Tares, or, or nothing but dead weight. A tear in, in, in the field is dead weight. It's not weed, it's a tear. It's nothing but a weed. But the thing significant about wheat and tares is this. When they're growing up together, you can't distinguish the wheat from the tear. Did you know that? If you look at them growing up side by side, you don't know what's a wheat and what's wheat and what's tear. So therefore you gotta wait until they become full grown and then you separate them. That's why he says, don't pull them up while they're growing because you'll damage the wheat. The root systems are interwoven. 
and you rip out a tear, you'll tear up the root system of the wheat. But when it's time for harvest, you want to pull the wheat anyway so you can separate them out. And you pull up both of them separate the wheat from the tares. As we approach the end, all the fake church people will be expunged from the body of Christ. You'll find they're going to drop out by nature. They can't go. They're going to try to go, but the nature won't let them go. That's when they point to, you know, somebody did something to me. Pastor Price is trying to build another church like somebody, and he tried to do the same old stuff. And they don't understand without even trying to be here. This is an expeditionary force to extract God's people. I'll tell you what it's like. It's like you were in Vietnam fighting a war, and the Viet Cong has captured 20 soldiers. Now, Navy SEALs are called up. You Navy SEALs are a specialized expeditionary force. They put on their black face paint. They come in the night by submarine. They take those rafts off that submarine, rubber rafts. Or the Navy SEALs are trained to swim for miles. They might bring the submarine five miles offshore and the SEALs swim the rest of the way in and scuba gear. They come on shore at night in the stealth of the darkness. They got 20 guys that are held as prisoners of war and this is an extraction of captives under enemy control. They come in the dark of night, and the only target are those 20 guys held by enemy forces. They go in the darkness of night, they destroy that prison encampment that's holding those guys, kill every Viet Cong within five miles of the place. These boys are marksmen. They will blow your head off, and you never knew what hit you because they shoot with silences on their guns. They'll kill everything around in the darkness of night and nobody even hear them strike. Get those 20 guys, put them in apparatus in order to survive, that swim back to the submarine, and the submarine sinks into the darkness of the ocean at night, and they go away. And nobody ever knew they even came in. We are an expeditionary force called to extract God's people in the darkness of night. And only those that are called, the chosen, will be gathered into the ark to leave and nobody will even know they're gone. They'll still be sitting in church singing choruses. And God's people have already gathered to leave. And you'll be in here in a delusion believing, I'm saved and I know the Lord and all this other junk you're saying. Never knowing the Navy SEALs have come in, extracted God's people. They've departed and you're left here as a tear. Residue left over. It's like afterbirth when a baby is born. The afterbirth is necessary when the baby's in the womb. It's a life-sustaining entity, the afterbirth is. See, the afterbirth is actually the, all the placenta and all the arenas necessary to sustain the baby within the womb. But as soon as that baby is extracted from that womb and birthed out of that womb, everything left over that sustained life for the baby is then thrown into the garden because it's no longer necessary. Church and religious environments forge God's people for it. In other words, your ability to extract yourself from church stuff is setting you free. Notice how church, see church people for the most part are crazy. Did you know that? <laughs> you hang around church long enough, you'll find out, you know, church people are insane. I've been around 30 years and you come to that conclusion after a while, you know, this is an asylum full of crazy people. You don't believe it, try to tell them, try to give them a CD telling them the truth. They look at you like, you know, like you're a nut or something. It's just the truth. 
So you come to the conclusion that you can lose your mind in a church arena and believe you got the truth and you know what you're doing, and really your mind is slipped off into a, into, into a delusion. You know, war used to sing a song back in the 70s, slipping in the darkness. I was slipping in the darkness. I think it was talking about getting high. <laughs> Crazy. But you could be in church all day long, having lost your mind already, and religiously saying all the same stuff and quoting the same stuff, praying, emulating prayers. You know, emulating prayers, when you pray, sounded like somebody else that prayed. Or reading from a book or something. You know, I'm reading my prayers from a book. Man, you need some life in you to pray to God. You know, you can't read prayers forever. It's good to say little, uh, you know, prayers over stuff that you can actually, but to continually just read prayers out of a book. See, God, that's not normal. You sometimes you come to God, God, I need some help. Lord, listen, I, I ain't got time to play with nobody. I ain't playing with nobody up in here. You talk to God for real. See, when you're really in a tight place, you don't read out of a book. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I ain't got time to, I ain't, look, I ain't got time to read no book. I'm out here on 10th Street under demonic attack, and I'm trying to find my book. Let me see my de demonic attack prayer. And you're trying to pray, oh, let's see here, oh, page three. Oh, man. When you're in the real deal, you switch over to the hood talk. Lord, listen here, Lord, listen, Lord, Lord, I, Lord listen, I'm here to talk to you, Lord. I ain't playing. I ain't playing with nobody. I ain't talking to Michael, no Gabriel, no, but I need to talk to the Lord. Like the folk they got in a tight place when Jesus walked around, we would see Jesus. Peter, move out the way. Peter trying to step in. Look, the Lord is, look, Peter. I'm about to go inside your head. I got to see the Lord now. I got to tear the roof off this house and get down to the Lord. Because I'm a cripple. Y'all won't let me in. The guy said, okay, all these apostles want to stop us. I said, hey, man. Hey, hey, get three guys. Y'all come on over. Get this, get this guy up in this middle. Let's go. They went up on that rooftop. And that thing, you see all kind of twigs and all kind of wood and stuff falling out the roof. That thing, know the guy comes, they cranking the guy down in front of the Lord. <laughs> the Lord, they get mad like, what are you fools doing? It takes desperate people to walk the Lord. All blockages, everybody in your way, you, you, you might hurt somebody up in here. Because you for real. That's real folk, man. The key to salvation is desperation. Desperate people meet the Lord, but people that ain't desperate, Man, they just church folk. And I told you, church folk are crazy folk. <laughs> Hang around church folk if you want to. You got the saints and you got church folk. You better become a saint, the sanctified unto Jesus Christ for yourself and everything else fades to black. And God is looking for reproductive cycles in your life. Are you reproducing after your own kind? If you're not, that's the indication of one thing. You've got to be dead. Dead organic life cannot reproduce. If you're not reproducing, you're a dead man walking and you don't even know. And I got to go and get God to engender life in me. I got to have some life. I got to have some Holy Ghost, the spirit of life, to reproduce after my own care. So you don't get worn out and lethargic and lazy and melancholy and laid back. Because what do you do? If I feel my battery getting low, what do I do? I stir up the spirit. I got to stir this thing up. I'm getting weak. I feel myself getting kind of lack, lackadaisical, anxiety stricken. I feel depressed. Man, you better get back to the altar and stir yourself back up because you got an oppressive devil over you trying to stop you. 
hopelessness, despondent, depressed. It's just so bad. You've been looking at too much Fox News and too much CNN. You've been ingesting too much stuff from the world. And the world paints a hopeless picture. He said, man, what you do, you got to stir up the gift in you that was given to you by the landowner of hands by the Presbytery. You got to know how to stir yourself up. You got to learn how to shape yourself and get out of that stupor. Because God's not going to keep sending you people to help you. He says, according to the power that does what? Works within you. Stir up the power in you if you're really born again. Now, if you ain't saved, you need to go back and get saved. Because you can't give the Holy Ghost to somebody not saved. Now, I ain't talking about no fake tongues blurting off to show forth you're saved to people. People talk in tongues and oppressed folk in church because they ain't been baptized in the Holy Ghost. Now, you're babbling in some fake tongues trying to make people think you're holy and you got the Spirit. Look at the chair next to you. You ain't got nothing. <laughs> nothing but a clown show. But your words really cut to the chase and convict you. Keep you out of hell. It'll keep you out of hell. Because they bring you to yourself out of that make-believe fantasy that you walk in within the confines of the matrix. The matrix got you fantasy speaking, believing you're something you're not. And you're circling in the wilderness of your own mind, driven just about crazy, and don't even know it. It's, it's crazy to watch this thing happen, man. It's unfolding right before our very eyes, and folks don't even know it. Today we're going to talk about the fact that ignorance is not bliss. Folks are ignorant, and they are, they're happy about it. I'm ignorant and happy about it. But the ignorance is not bliss. Bliss is happiness. we got to show you that to be ignorant is a dangerous arena in God's economy because you got to know God. They that know their God will be strong and do exploits. you got to know the Lord for real. Lip service paid to God means absolutely nothing. It's a strain on the brain when you're trying to be something you're not organically capable of being. That's a strain. Man, I put a heavy strain on you. Always trying to look like, act like, fit in, say the right thing. You know, you, you just a mess at that point. And we got we to now deconstruct the whole generation of folk out of church. They got to be deconstructed. Because they believe so much crazy junk that whatever you say to them, they pervert it. Because they, they filter it through all that religious stupidity. And you got to deconstruct that whole arena of thought patterns and imaginations and junk they've been taught so they can come to deal with the reality of God. Anything can be an idol in this arena. Anything can be made an idol if you're still a concrete thinker. You really can't understand what I'm saying because your mind has not been refabricated to understand it. A transformed mind can get it. A concrete thinking, fleshly mind can't get it. Romans chapter 8 tells us that the arena of carnality is the mind. The carnal mind cannot receive the things of God because they are foolishness unto that carnal mind. So you got to deconstruct the carnal mind, especially a religious carnal mind. The worst case scenario is the religious carnal mind. It's got to be deconstructed. And buddy, I'm seeing now, it's going to take the Elijah task to get that thing out of the way. It's going to take fire falling from heaven for real to get, deconstruct the carnal mind. Because everything is misunderstood by the carnal mind. 
Right. So that's Gary Price, Gary C. Price. Ignorance is not bliss. So uh, we'll get started. You know, again, the lesson is called um, Spectators and Participators. So let's start in Psalm 56 and get going. So what do you think about what he said? Spot on. Mm-hmm. Is he rough? Is he hard? <laughs> is he Hilarious. cut to the quick with his words? Psalm <laughs> 1, Yeah. You know, he's um, largely responsible that the Lord spoke to him through me. Even while I was on my journey pursuing the Lord, there were still some things that I believed that I was a Christian until I listened to him, and he told me everything that I wasn't. And I looked it up. He backed everything up with scripture. I looked at it, and I'm like, man, there's things that need to change with me. There's more that I need to seek. Because, you know, what I was raised to know is if you believe that Jesus raised from the dead, that you will inherit the kingdom of God, you know? And that was what I hung on, even though I lived a whole life in sin. So it's kind of like, you know, there are a lot of people that are in these delusions that believe as long as I believe Jesus raised from the dead, you believe the Father sent the Son, that is all I have to do. But, you know, unfortunately, that's not the case. We have to be another life type. Okay, so that which is like God can do the things of God. That's a process. All right, Psalm 56 and verse 1, and it says, Be merciful unto me, O God, uh, for a man would swallow me up uh, for fighting daily, oppresseth me. Mine enemies would would daily swallow me up, for they be many uh, that fight against me. O thou most high, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. And God, I will praise his word in God. I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. So if you look at four here, you notice that he says, uh, in God, uh, excuse me, I will praise his word. And God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do to me. Notice how at first he said he would put his trust in his word. That means he heard the word. So remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So he knows the word of God, and that's where he puts his um, that's where he puts his trust. So we first have to trust the Lord, and the only way to trust him is to know what he said, is to know what he means, is to know what he desires from us. You know, the faith comes from the word. But then he says um, afterwards, I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. So this book is a book of transformation. You know, this book um, changes the thoughts from the carnal mind unto the spiritual mind. You start to believe the things that the word of God says, because as we read, the veil starts to peel back. You know, at one point we might have looked at this as history or fantasy or, you know, it was an awesome story. I can choose to believe or not believe. But the more you get into this word, your mind becomes like this word to where you say, you know what, why can't I do what's in here? And you realize the only thing that stops us from doing it is us because we don't believe. Maybe we don't study enough. Maybe we haven't fasted and prayed enough to subdue that flesh so that the spirit can ring loud. The Bible says in Psalm 42 or Psalm 46, deep calleth unto deep. So God can't get to that deep place if you're surrounded in flesh. So through fasting, through prayer, through seeking God's word, through, you know, looking for the things that he wants for you, you'll see that veil pull back. I notice, I mean, for anyone in here that's fasted, I mean, you get that feeling of, I need to do more. I need to read my word. 
you get very still and you begin to hear God's voice when you fast. It's almost like people are talking to you and you're just zoning out. Like he's calling on you for something. It's a really weird feeling. But things become so serious in fasting when you start to subdue this flesh. So David, you know, at first begins in trust. But the only way to trust him is to get into his word. So from the word, everything is birth. The spirit of God works upon that because, you know, regardless of what people say about love and feelings, like love is essential, but God appeals to your intellect. He's not an ignorant God. He's not a dumb God. He works with you. He teaches you. He shows you what needs to be in order for you to do, because at first you don't really have that experience. There are a lot of people that hang on to their intellect and they try and understand the word of God, but all they come up with is like, you know, stuff from the world. Or they might have had questions what stopped them from believing at one point in their lives. And then the word will pierce through, you know, and give them an answer. And then I've seen people click where they're, right, exactly. Now I can try and pin this. I was one of those people. I will tell you firsthand, I was into when the Ancient Alien series came out. I was big into that, and I still believed I was a Christian. Now, you know that they say everything that is not Christian in those series. They start out with some truth, but the next thing they take you off on is to some alien path. And, you know, and I, I remember um, one of the guys said that Jesus might be extraterrestrial. So I'm looking at it like, man, what is he talking about? And then he said, because Jesus did say, I'm not of this world. And I was like, yeah, you know what? That could be true. So this is where my mind was going. And I was really on this information because I thought I had learned something that the old archaic church didn't understand. So I thought, man, you guys are in the dark. You don't understand the space age, you know, <laughs> scriptures that I understand. So I remember one day talking to my dad about Ezekiel's chariot. And the more I was talking about it, the more angry my dad was getting because he's like, man, you're into some other stuff. You're not in the scriptures. And I'm like, no, but you got to understand the science of this and that. And I'm trying to break it down. So then one day, um, I remember I was at work. You remember when we worked out at Seaver? I was sitting in the um, security Jeep and I just turned on uh, my phone to like try and uh, listen to something to pass the time. And there was a guy, Steve Quayle, that got on there because I was holding to the extraterrestrial thing. And one of the guys, George Norrie, um, interviewed Steve Quayle and he said, so what do you think about these extraterrestrials? And Steve Quayle heard him say that about three or four times. And then Steve Quayle couldn't take it anymore. He said, what are you talking about extraterrestrials? They're fallen angels. And when he said that, something <coughs> in me clicked. Like, right. Now I get it. Now I understand. So I can believe in the supernatural and believe in God's word because the supernatural exists there. Now, that might not be an experience for a lot of other people, how they found Christ, but it worked for me because why? I was sick of the same old boring stories in church, you know, a lot of noise, a lot of singing, a lot of, you know, acting like James Brown, all that stuff going on, but <laughs> nothing being done, you know, and it's like, man, this just ain't cutting it. So I began to equate the world with the church. In some cases, I thought the world was better because I definitely wasn't learning anything in church. But there's something in key words that click. I began to study the fallen angels, the giants. I went into other things. I began to believe in the whole story of David and Goliath. That became real to me. Why? Because I had history as well as um, an understanding that these things did exist. So the word of God will reveal things to you to break down barriers 
whatever it is that's keeping you from believing. And when that sword pierces through, it goes right to the heart. I think that's when you begin to experience the feelings of the Lord and and, and hurt and, and other things. You know, a lot of people have come here for the first time and never heard what we were teaching. But when the word pierced through, somehow you just got hooked. You just got into it. You needed to study. You needed to do this. You wanted to come back and learn more because the spirit of God, the word of God was cutting through everything that was around and piercing that place where we needed to be hit. Deep calleth unto deep. So verse 5. Anyone want to say anything? Or? All right, verse 5. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for um, for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. So these are people that are against him. You can call this the world. Verse 7. Shall they escape by iniquity? O thine anger, cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wanderings put forth, I mean, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, uh, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. In God I will praise his word. In the Lord I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid of what man can do unto me. Why is that? Because when you've been through the battles that David has been through, he was taken through his own wilderness when uh, Saul wanted to kill him. He faced Goliath. He had done so much in his life that he began to know the Lord is with me no matter what. And we have to have our trials, but one of the ways to do that is we've got to get in the fight. We've got to test God. Okay, God, you said that, it's, that I can do nothing outside of you, so why don't I go out and test and see if this is true in faith. And the Lord will show up with you, but the enemy will tell you you're not ready. You need to study some more. You'll never be ready. I'll be fair enough to say, man, when I started trying to teach and hold conferences and things, you know, I might have had some knowledge of the word, but I didn't, I can feel like my growth in the Lord over the past year and a half, where he began to break down scripture and show me things. If we wait for God to get us ready to do a work for him, we'll never be ready. What we need to do is study and trust God and let him walk you through it. And like Gary Price said, and I agree, your problems will begin to fade in your life because it's almost like he knows you're on this journey for him. Hey, let me take care of this for you because you're busy doing things for me. So that's how we got to see things. I mean, his work, wherever we are as Christians, there is a priority. Like Carlin brought up, you know, we are all members of one body. Like Sarah brought up, you know, that we need to trust in the Lord. We need to have our trials and tribulations and things in him because this is where you become, you know, you get to that place where you test God. And I think God wants you to test him. He wants you to see he wants you to believe that, man, when you go out there on the avenue and you start preaching my word, there I am with you. But unless we do it, unless we take that leap of faith, unless we cross that Jordan River, we'll always wonder what the promised land is like, but us ourselves never touching it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we want to be able to trust God. Because one of the things that got to me was, I'm like, man, if these stories are true, I don't have any evidence of that except hearing what others have done. I want the Lord to work through me. I want to be that vessel. I don't want to be dead. I want to be alive to Christ. Now, this isn't pride talking, but I'm like, Lord, if I compare me to anybody in this book, man, I'm not, I'm not there. So how can I possibly think one day 
that when God opens up his kingdom and we sit there before David, before Elijah, before Joshua, before Paul, before the apostles, all these guys, they have resumes. They have done things in Christ. And here we are, bring our size 11s under the table. Hey, guys, how you doing? Well, what are we going to eat? These guys don't know you. So, man, you haven't done a thing for Christ. So who are you? You know, so what I'm saying is non-participation will not get us into the kingdom of God. And I agree with Gary Price. It is dangerous for a Christian in church because we can mentally ascend ourselves to be more than we are. And we can be damned the whole time. Now, I'm not saying born again is not an experience. When children are born, they can't see, they can't walk, they have no hair, they have no teeth. You know, blah, blah, blah. They grow, they move from milk, and then they go right into the, you know, meat. And they, they grow in Christ. But if we think that all we're doing in our lives, if the Lord hasn't called us to, is enough, man, we got to think again. Because you want to be in the spirit. This is one life to live. We cannot afford to miss this. If we work so hard for the world, we give the world at least 80 hours every two weeks, you know, 160 hours a month, however you want to, you know, measure that, then I mean, we got to give the Lord some time too, mm -hmm. because he's the only reason that we are able to do what we can do. So you've got to believe him. And, you know, I think fasting and prayer, I agree with Sarah, is a, it's a big deal. It's a, it's a huge deal because it takes away that which is against God so God can speak to you direct. And that's important. All right, so uh, verse 12, it says, Thou vows are um, upon me, O God, I will render praises unto thee, for thou hast delivered my soul from death. Um, will not thou deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? So, you know, I wanted to say something, too, here. You know, this is David's trust in the Lord. But I think that sometimes when we read the scriptures and then we compare maybe speakers that speak slightly different. Like if you notice with this guy, Gary Price, he holds no punches. I mean, this guy just lets it rip. You think that's something. Listen to more of his videos and things. But um, we got to understand, too, what time we're in, because some people would say that's not love. That is love. But when in the time of Jesus, you never heard of transhumanism. You never heard of a new world order. You might have heard of the Roman Empire controlling man and doing things. But we're in a different age today where, you know, the Lord is ramping things up and he's got his ministers on fire telling us the truth. So everyone isn't going to speak like Paul. Paul didn't speak like Peter. You know, they all had their distinct style, but they all brought something from the Lord. So I think what keeps a lot of us at times, because there was a pastor I knew, um, A.R. Bernard in New York. I was a big fan of him because this guy was like, I mean, what you would call great oratory, man, this guy knew his stuff, or so I thought. I mean, he knew stuff. But when I recognized later on that I needed more of the, the spiritual milk and feeding, man, this guy's a motivational speaker. That's not what's necessary today. We need someone that can feed us on God's word. Not make you feel good about yourself, but let you know where you're going. I'll give you a classic example. Let's go to Matthew 24 real quick. See, for a lot of us that think we would have liked Jesus if he was here, man, you paid attention to the way Jesus spoke to people. You know, and you would be highly offended today because we're so thin-skinned. You know, I'm grateful for hard teaching or hard preaching because it lets me know where I am. 
And like they said, if you um, take a, a, a brick and you throw it in a pack of dogs, it's the dog that gets hit is the one that's going to yelp. If it's not you, then who cares? But if it is us, maybe we should examine it a bit. So Matthew 24 and verse 1, and it says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to shew him the buildings of the temple. So these guys are excited about this temple, and listen to Jesus. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left one stone upon another um, that shall not be thrown down. So while these guys were out here worshiping the temple, Jesus always did this because he was trying to draw them back into the spirit, into what's important. So while they were idolizing all the Jews of the temple, he said, man, you see this? There won't be one stone upon this. So some people would think he was a party pooper, like, Lord, why are you raining on my parade? But this is what's necessary because our minds, especially in our carnal nature, have a capacity to just imagine. You know, I mean, you can do a set of pull-ups and think you're Rocky afterwards, but <laughs> the reality is if you jump in the ring, you'll find out you're not. So it's just something that it's good to condition us. It's good to keep us looking forward to what the Lord calls us to do, mm-hmm. you know, to try and get there. Um, let's go to, uh, if no one has anything to add, let's go to Exodus 14. No, but it is good, though, because, again, we we shouldn't be comfortable in our Christian walk. We should be, we should be wanting to do more and more and more for the Lord every every day. Like it's been said before, okay, you know, the Lord changed your life. This year you stop, you stop cursing. The next year you stop smoking. It's a it's a continuous process, mm-hmm. but we've we've never we've never arrived until we enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's the only time that we have arrived. But that spiritual right. growth in us should be a continuous process. And yes, you know, we should be I say this personal experience we should be expiring to have Christ fully formed in us. That is the goal. That's right. Christ grown in us. Uh, everybody at Numbers 14? Exodus. Oh, I meant to go to Numbers. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, I went there. I was wondering if I had said one or the other. <laughs> sorry, guys. It's fine. I was in Leviticus anyways. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I remember when I was in New York, and I remember the first sermon I did there about two years ago, and I remember being apologetic for so many things that I would say. You know, it was just this feeling of, I wonder what they think, I wonder if they like it, I wonder if I'm saying everything I need to say. You know, when I came back there the second time, I could have cared less what anybody thought because you worry about what God thinks. So even in teaching and learning, there's always this thing where we find ourselves trying to be as polite as possible. But when you get to the part in the spirit where the Lord's tell you, the Lord tells you, man, say these words the way I'm telling you to. I mean, it changes. But I listened to that first sermon. My voice was kind of like squeaky. I was definitely scared. I mean, you can tell I was trying to be me, but my voice just wouldn't come out. So I sounded like a boy going through puberty, you know, it's kind of, would you turn to Matthew 7, please, would you? 
you know, and it was just like, man, what is wrong with me? But, you know, when you start to lose that fear and get confident in the Lord, the Lord will start to give you your own identity. You know, you become more God conscious. Numbers 14 and verse 1, and it says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. So this was when they weren't able to come into the land. You know, they um, you know, were afraid, so they told them they wouldn't. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God uh, that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in the wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should uh, be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? So we understand here that these people, even after what the Lord had done, they still weren't willing to move. So we have to ask ourselves, how much faith does it take to walk into the promise? What does the Lord have to do to assure us that we can do things for him? You know, for, when he's carried us through the wilderness, if we have the real faith and the belief to go into the promised land, why would he abandon us then? Yeah, and do you know that there were people that, I mean, the Lord laid hands on and did things for that afterwards still didn't believe? Mm -hmm. Even though they can have medical proof, they can have all this stuff appear, and they will still obey their doctors and say, well, I don't know for sure. So, I mean, you know, you can't do anything with a mind like that except just let them, you know, hey, man, do what you want to do. You know, but it takes faith to believe in God and his power to be healed. Mm -hmm. But you have people the Lord will do things for and they'll still doubt him. So that's why he said there will be no one that will seek the sign, you know, um, unless that he said wicked and perverse generations seeketh after a sign. The only sign that they would get was Jesus three days and three nights in the belly of I mean, in the earth, you know, the, the same as Jonah. And it's like you can choose to believe that or not believe it, but he's not going to go that extra mile to get you to believe. Because mm -hmm. a wicked generation, no matter what you show them, they won't believe. All right, verse 3, um, or it's verse 4. And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return unto Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel, and Joshua the son of Nun, Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we passed uh, through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land, and give it us a land, yeah, and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. So, you know, clearly you can see here out of the 12 spies, only two of them were participators mm -hmm. that wanted to get in and get down and get dirty because they believed God. And then you had uh, 10 others, including the congregation, that did not believe. So you're always going to find more um, spectators than you will participators, even in sporting events. Verse mm -hmm. 9, only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land. For they are bred for us, their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is, um, is with us, fear them not. So we later learned, you know, from reading this, if you guys read Judges, um, I think it was Joshua 5, and then you go into Joshua 14, that Caleb actually was 85 years old. He was 40 here 
but he was 85 years old when the Lord allowed him to go into the will, into the promised land. And he was fighting with the strength in his youth that he had because the Lord recognized he had another spirit. So he promised him that he would make it in. So we got to stay diligent and ready for the Lord to do what he calls us to do. Mm -hmm. All right. Verse 11. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will these people provoke me? How long will it, uh, will it be uh, error? like earth, uh, they believe me for all the signs which I have shown among them. I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. And Moses said unto the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear it for thou broughtest up this people in thy might uh, from their, um, from among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land for they have heard that thou Lord, uh, art among the people that thou Lord art seen face to face and that thy cloud standeth over them and that thou goest before them um, by daytime in the pillar of a cloud and in a pillar of fire by night. Uh, now it shall, now it shall kill. I mean, now if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nation which have heard the fame of thee will speak saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land, which he sware unto them, therefore he hath um, slain them in the wilderness. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of these people, according unto thy greatness of thy mercy, and thou hast um, forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And the Lord, you know, so we ought to understand, this is Moses interceding. So he called the Lord um, a long-suffering. He called the Lord merciful, you know, forgiving, and all these amazing things he said about the Lord. So, you know, this is where I feel a lot of the church and people are, we're so hung up on God's forgiveness and his grace and his love that we're not hung up on what he's telling us to do. Mm -hmm. And this is why we can fall into this, like, what do you call it? Sarah called it a sick romantic novel or oh, something like that or something. Novel. But where it's just like you're in love with him, but you love him so much you don't even hear what he's telling you. Because all you're thinking about is his goodness, his love, his mercy. But okay, you're giving mercy for what? What were you giving grace to do? Were you giving grace to fulfill the lust of the flesh? Or were you giving grace to do the will of God? Mm -hmm. Because he knows along this road, you're going to stumble. You're going to fall. You're going to strive like the children of Israel did. Battle after battle until they stepped into the promise. But unless we do that, unless we understand what this grace is for, we can make a big mistake. It means, oh man, that just means I get hugs until eternity. No, the Lord is asking you to do a work for him. So this grace is to figure out what we need to do for him. Of course, he loves us. Of course, we're imperfect beings, but we can be made perfect through Christ. So this grace is only to get this right. What do you want me to do, Lord? What is your desire for me? If it is to just set things up in the morning, if it's me to lay out pews or do whatever, what do you need me to do? And the Lord will tell you what your goal is. 
but we can't be so hung up on feelings and emotions that we forget what the Lord is calling us. Because you know why? Those same feelings and emotions that these people had is the reason they did not go into the land because they thought that God was so loving that he was just going to not even let them see terror. You guys stay over here. I'll go over and kick the giant's butts, get them out of town, and then I'll come over and guide you into the land so you can enjoy it. This is what people in the church are looking for, and this is just not the case. When they were in Egypt, he did that for them. He freed them from Pharaoh's men. He sustained them in the wilderness. When it came time for them to go into the promised land, he did that through them. They needed to be participants. They needed to be active. They needed to go forward in what he called them to do because that's the only way it was going to get done. Mm -hmm. Now, some people can say, no, I don't believe that. Then why did he tell them to turn around and walk in the wilderness for 40 years up until a nation came up that would obey him? So we found it wasn't love for God. It was obedience. Behind obedience, we have trust. We have belief. We have faith. But he had done 10 things for them. And they still didn't believe. So we got to ask ourselves, how much has the Lord done for me? How much has he brought me from? How much has he shown me that I can't believe that he will be with me when I do what I need to do for him? Verse 21. So he says, um, and the Lord, or verse 20. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. So the Lord is telling Moses here, the earth will be filled with the glory. My plan will be carried out. But what he's recognizing is, I can't do it through these people. They don't want to do it. So this is what we need to understand. So his will be done. We just want to be a part of his will because that's a benefit to us. We're not doing him a favor. Verse 22, because all those men which have seen my glory... And my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto thee, uh, their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoked me to see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, and hath followed me fully, uh, him will I bring into the land whereunto... Uh, he went, and his seed shall possess it. And that was a promise from the Lord. You guys read that in Judges 14 in your spare time. But, man, it was an awesome story how the Lord never forgot Caleb. Verse 25, Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn you and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation? which murmur against me. I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. So a spirit of unbelief is an evil spirit. He called them an evil, evil congregation. Now they said earlier in this chapter, well, you know, what about our kids and our wives? And would God leave us to die? You see the emotionalism kicking in here, the carnal mind. A lot of us can't do what the Lord said because of work, because of children, because of all these different things. Guess what? If we don't get it right by a certain time, or when the Lord calls us to, or when our lives end, we don't qualify. And it's just that simple. We did a whole study last week on idolatry and the things that can hold you back. No matter what, we have to make time for what the Lord calls us to do. Mm -hmm. Verse 30, no, verse 29. Isn't that it? No, verse 28. 
Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not uh, come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, they will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses will fall in the wilderness, I mean, shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years and bear your whoredoms. So they got to bear your whoredoms. Then it says, unto your carcasses uh, be wasted in the wilderness. After the number of the days in which ye search the land, even forty days each day for a year shall ye bear your iniquities. Even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered uh, together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed, and they shall um, there they there they shall die. So some people would think this was mean. All you got to do is read from Exodus to Numbers, this part right here, and you'll understand. I mean, the Lord brought plagues. He opened the Red Sea. He poured water from the rock, manna from heaven. Look at how the Lord supplies us every single day. Look at how so many times the devil attempted to kill us or get rid of us, destroy us in some legal matter or some apartment issue or some, you know, financial issue that we have. Trouble in our marriage, trouble with our families. And here he smoothed this whole thing out and we go right back to the life we lived. How about thank you, Jesus? You know what? You did this for a purpose. I'm dedicating what you did to you. I mean, for you. Okay, you gave me a son. I'm giving that child back to you. You know, you gave me a job. I'm going to work on this job just as much as I work for you. And this is the dedication we need to give the Lord because without him, we can do absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we can talk. I agree with Gary Price. We can talk big talk. We can talk about what we learned. We can talk about what the Lord has revealed to us, what he's done, how we're growing. And he said, check the seat next to you. How many people are we sharing the word of God with? It'll tell you who you are. I don't care what you've done. He's right. All those disciples did was go out and win souls. They did the work of the ministry. If we're not doing the work of the ministry, it doesn't matter what we say. What our works are will witness against us. Uh, let's go to um, James chapter 1. Anyone want to add anything or say anything? Anybody disagree? You can say so too. I know I still have a lot of work to do, and that's okay, because as long as there's work to do, I can stay busy for the kingdom of God, right. and I'm not working my way to salvation. I'm talking about actually doing what he's calling me to do. Mm -hmm. We have to, and like he said, and I agree with Gary Price on this too, you don't have to go out and have a sermon on the mount in order to be accepted by Christ. You may meet someone one day having coffee, share the word. If they choose not to accept Christ, then, you know, it's a witness against them. So you're not giving points for being successful. We're giving points for being faithful. I only learned about Martin and Laura's Bible study because Karen told me about it. One day we were talking, 
And Karen was like, you know, um, you know, the stuff you talk about, you know, they talk, you know, my, you should come to my sister's study and everything like that. That's how I found out about it. You know, I invited, um, I think Ryan was the first time we came. And when Sarah came back from her trip, she came. You know, I talked to Jake. Jake talked to Eric. Eric told Holly, you know, and the thing just started like rolling from there. But, you know, that's how it happens. You know, you can just light a little spark and things will just blaze. They'll just pop up. All right. Uh, James chapter 1 and verse 1. James, a servant of God, of the Lord Christ, Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. So we need to be patient when it comes to um, being perfected in our faith with Christ. Verse 4, But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So Paul is saying that this is something that can happen. You know, I believe this this perfect here is complete in Christ. Mm -hmm. Christ grown in you. Christ pours directly into your spirit. You don't have to look for a teacher or anything. You've got the master himself telling you information, right. giving you things to do and what to say. Verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, <laughs> let him ask of God and give it to all men liberally and, li liberally and abradeth not. And it shall be given him, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. You know, when I heard of a lot of pastors too, like Derek Prince and all, well, he's not a pastor. Derek Prince was an evangelist, but when I would listen to all those guys' stories, they became so inspiring to me that I was like, Lord, you know, if it be your will, let me have a spiritual gift. Give me something. You know, and I prayed and fasted for that for about two years, you know, before. And, and much of it didn't. It wasn't about the two years. Much of it was my disobedience. Much of it was me loving the world and doing things that the Lord, I could hear him tell me, I want to give you these things, but you're not mature enough yet. You know, because once you start doing work for me and people witness that and then you go off into sin, man, I've got to judge that. You know, because you know better now. So the Lord wants to mature you and get you ready for things. But we should be on our knees praying for this. Like Carlin read, and I agree, desire spiritual gifts. Desire a filling of the Holy Ghost. Never mind the gifts. Lord, fill me. Fill me with your Holy Ghost. You know, let me let live in me so that I can do your will. Desire those things. You're not wrong. That's not being egotistical. You're desiring what is necessary to do the will of God. You know? Being able to shoot forth his power to the world. That's right. So we can't waver when we ask. We ask in belief. Mm -hmm. You know, when Jesus created the world and he said, let there be light, he wasn't wondering if it would happen. He spoke it and it happened. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's why Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. Mm -hmm. Verse 7, for let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Look at this. Mm -hmm. I mean, just think about this. You won't receive a thing if you have any ounce of doubt while you're asking the Lord. So why not ask in faith? I mean, just believe. Don't, I hope he gives me. No, believe when you're on your knees. Lord, do this for me, you know? But much of it comes with our obedience. Mm -hmm. Verse 9, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, uh, but the rich in that he is made low, low, because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. 
So what they're talking about here is the rich man loveth that which is temporal, not looking for things that are eternal. Like the grass, all things will pass away. 1 Corinthians 15 and 19 says, If you have hope in this life only, you are of all men most miserable. And the world itself is what keeps us from doing what the Lord wants. When we come to a reality that we are unhappy here, when we've been married and divorced, when you bought houses and they foreclosed, when your car gets repossessed, when these things begin to happen, then we recognize, Lord, none of this stuff can sustain me. Every time we get bad news in our lives, that's a great thing. Why? Because the Lord wants you to lean on him. Mm -hmm. We should be proud of the disappointment that occurs to us in this life. Why? That's just one other reason to look to Christ. Another friend betrayed me. Another job let me go. Well, good. Now the Lord is saying, come on over to me and I'll give you a full-time job. You know, so you can do my will. All right. So verse 11, for the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat. But it withereth of the grass, and the flower thereof uh, falleth, as the grace of the fashion um, of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for what he is, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. You know, this is the other thing I agree. As you do work for the Lord. He will take things out of your life. Mm -hmm. You know, at one point, I remember um, even in New York, I was struggling with some things you know, a couple of years ago. And I began to question, if I'm not doing these things, then how can I be worthy to do anything for the Lord? And one of the interesting things is those things began to drop off as I entered the ministry. Why? Because I recognized that I couldn't be a hypocrite and do God's will. So the word itself will correct you. You know, while you're sitting there, no, I need to be made perfect and the Lord will bring, no. I mean, you know, if he's calling you to do it, jump in it. And as you read this, there'll be a mirror looking right back at you as you're speaking. And it'll make you sick. Believe me, if you're doing anything not right, as you're sitting here telling people, man, you need to work. Work for Jesus. Work. And the Lord is like, well, you're not working. These words will speak to you where you'll eventually say, man, I'm going to do some work. You may not say it during the study, you know, but afterwards you'll hey, man, I got work to do. So, you know, the Lord will drop these things off of you, but we've got to trust him. If we're afraid to minister to people now, what do you think it's going to be like later on? When everyone says, man, if you find a Christian ministering, kill them, throw them in jail, let us know where they are. If we're afraid now, then we'll never stand up in that day because it's going to come hard and it's going to come fast. And this is something that we should just take this time to practice. Oh, all right, I ministered to this grandmother. You know, she cursed me out. But, you know, <laughs> it's all good. You know, I'll move on and, you know, do whatever. But you will get used to it. That is one thing I give the Jehovah Witnesses credit for. They know how to handle rejection. They'll knock on every door, be called names. Go away, you're a cult. I don't want nothing to do with you. Slam the door in their faces. But one thing, they'll, they'll absorb it mark it off, and go right to the next door. Now, I'm not saying they're right. What I'm saying is they are conditioned for failure. And that's how we need to be conditioned. We need to know what it is to have a door slammed in our face. We need to know what it is to have people walk away from us because we can't stop talking about Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's good for the soul. Mm -hmm. We need this. You know, we're cutting off that dead weight so we can work. Stay persevering. Like, don't mm -hmm. let it doubt you. Don't let it upset you or keep you from doing mm -hmm. the will of God. 
uh, but keep persevering. That's right, because you never heard of any boxer getting tough from getting his hand nails done and massages <laughs> down, you know, ding, and they go out and he's give them a nice little massage and you go back to your corner. No, it's the sustaining of blows. It's getting hit. All right, I fought for three minutes. I'm tired. Now I need to jump rope three times as much, you know, so it's, it's digesting this word and getting built up in Christ to give us endurance to do what is necessary, but we should not fear rejection. We should embrace it. Why? Because Christ himself was rejected. He said, if they persecute me, they'll persecute you. So nothing should stop you from doing it. And we have to eat the whole roll. Eat the whole roll, no matter what. So a crown of life is given to us here, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth um, he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. So what draws you away? Your own lust. You know that the word of God is here. You know that there's prayer. You know that there's people you can congregate with. Excuse me, that will keep you from sin. But our own lust will be, I know places I want to go. They won't be for. So my own lust will lead me not telling anybody where I was. I was somewhere at a strip club or doing whatever, you know, at a bar, doing whatever, drinking my life away. But I didn't tell anybody because I know that if I do, then, I'm, you know, they're going to come and try and correct me about how I'm living, what I'm doing, what I need to do. So when we're drawn away by our own lust, you know, that can be women, that can be kids, that can be anything that can take you away from God. It can be work. You can be a workaholic. You can have the love of money. You can desire something. And, you know, we best not play with God in this way, idolizing things of the world, because the world, the Lord had taken things out of my life that I thought was so great. You know, you don't ever want to play your heart versus your heart for the Lord versus something of the world. Because what the Lord will do is just pack it up and push it aside. Like, if you want me, then you need to let this go. So you don't ever want to get to that place. And this is why you want to be faithful with what he's given you. Why? Because now he can bless you upon what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But when he's got to decide, wait, are you, are you with me or are you with them? And you push the Lord to doing something like that, he'll erase whatever it is in your life. Or he'll just back away from the situation and your situation will get bad all by itself. Mm -hmm. Why? Because there's no reason for him to be there. You're not representing me. You're enjoying yourself. Mm -hmm. So we got to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, all of our souls and minds. Verse 15, And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, that cometh down from the Father of lights, whom, um, I mean, with whom is no variableness, uh, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will beget uh, he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind and first fruits of, of his creatures. Now, kindliness does not mean leave out truth, you know, because some people think in order to be kind, I can't say things for the sake of offending. You can be kind in presenting, but hey, truth is truth. You know, we can either take it or leave it. Uh, 19, wherefore, beloved brethren, uh, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Uh, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity and naughtiness, and receive with meekness an engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. 
but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Now this is no different than what Gary Price was saying. He said, they said you can deceive your own self in believing that being a hearer of the word is as good as being a doer of the word. And he's saying that is not the case. We can be deceived in just believing that we're something that we're not. So, you know, I agree. If we have no works, there's not a whole lot we can really say. Uh, verse 24, 25. But whoso looketh unto the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So, you know, he's saying, but looking unto the perfect law of liberty. What is the law of liberty? The law of the spirit. It's grace. When people want to know what grace is, the grace is that law of liberty to do the will of the Lord, to walk in the spirit, not under the law, not being judged of men, but to grow in grace with Christ, not to be under grace like we got a membership called to grace. So if someone says, hey, man, why are you fornicating? And you, grace, check it out, buddy. You know, I'm a member. It doesn't work that way. The grace is to fulfill the will of the Lord. Right. Keep your butt out of hell. All right, so, um, and it says in 26, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. So if you want to be religious and you don't hold your tongue, you're talking bold, you're talking proud, you deceive your own heart because your religion is vain. It's about you. It's not about what Christ is telling you to say. It's not about obeying the words of God. It's you with your ego, you know, <laughs> trying to present something. So it says in 27, pure, pure religion is undefiled before God, uh, and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows of their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So unspotted from the world is walking in the spirit, and the fatherless and widows kind of covers what Carlin went into. That's why I love why the King James talks about charity. It doesn't just use the word love because everything is not expressed. Love can be taken in so many different ways. But the Lord is like, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, if you love, then show love by giving. Nobody wants to hear you love. Come on, even in marriages. I can tell you I love you all day long. But, you know, I mean, it's so funny when you talk to husbands and wives and you ask them about the marriage, you know, the husband, the first thing he does is, yeah, well, we just got a new house. You know, we got a yacht. We just went to Canada. You know, we went here. We went there. We've done this. We've done that. And you'll find, you know, so that's his idea of a successful marriage. You ask the wife, you know, and they're like, oh, I heard what you guys done this, 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 and this. Yeah, that's good, but, you know, he doesn't talk to me much. You know, he doesn't really spend time. It doesn't seem like he wants to hear what I'm saying. And, I mean, but I like what he does, but I don't feel complete. Well, why is that? Because the relationship is not where it needs to be. So that's being honest. That's the Lord picking us apart. Yeah, you do get down and pray, you know, 30 seconds a day. I mean, I'm not complaining, but how do you expect us to have a relationship if you're not giving me that time? There is no relationship that won't fly with time. Mm -hmm. None. Except those that don't work. And trust me, that I am chief. 
You know, I know I'm not sitting up here single. You know, there's a reason for that. So, I mean, I've learned from a lot of mistakes that I have made. All right, so um, from here we'll go to James 2. And uh, uh, verse 11, James 2 and 11. Anyone have any questions, anything they want to say? Nope. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do that they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that hath shewn no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. What doth it profit, my brethren, uh, though a man say uh, he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Now remember, if you go to um, Ephesians 2 and 8, it talks about that we're saved by grace. I mean, we're saved by faith through grace, not of works, you know, lest any man should boast. But now James here is asking the question, well, can um, faith alone save you too? So, you know, um, it's rhetorical because he gives us the answer. But 15 says, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? You know, a lot of churches are also guilty of this and people of God. They'll go up to a homeless person and, you know, want to give them some food. And you'll hear the Lord say, give them $50. And you, well, let me pray for you, brother. And you can hear the Lord, give them $50. And you, yeah, brother, you know, I just want to pray for you and this and that. You're not obeying God because God is telling you what to give. Hey, he needs $50. Give him 50 bucks. But and he, the Lord knows you got it, obviously, but we'll pray over a situation. Oh, give him something to eat. And then many of us use the excuse, oh, he might be on drugs. You know what? That's not up to you. If the Lord tells you to give, then give. You know, let the Lord decide how a situation gets worked out. He may tell you not to give because a person may OD, but it's all about obeying the Spirit of God. Verse 17. So he's saying it's no profit if you've got stuff to give and you won't give, you're not showing love. Verse 17, even so faith, if it have not works, is dead of being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Shew me thy faith without thy works, and I will shew thee faith by my works. So he's saying, you know, you can have all the faith you want. But Jesus didn't just come, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. I came not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and of power. You go to Matthew 11, um, John the Baptist asked, well, are you the Christ or should we search for another? You know, he was in prison. He had his moment of doubt. Jesus said, man, go unto John and tell him the works that you have seen, how he cast out devils. He laid hands on the sick. He did a work to show them that I am the Christ. He didn't just say, well, you know, if you look at Zechariah 9, 9, it talks about I rode in on a donkey. So that should be information for you. No, he gave a display of who he was because faith alone is not enough, but neither are works. But because Christ had faith, because he was full of the spirit, his works identified who he was. Verse 19, thou believest that there is one God. 
uh, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. So you can believe there's a God, but that's not getting the work done. He said the devils believe and tremble. Verse 20, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? So, you know, that's a question he's asking, verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So I love the, the strategy that the Lord used here because he told Isaac, you know, I mean, he told um, Abraham, hey, you know, sacrifice your son unto me. Because when Abraham believed God, he took that rope and grabbed that knife, then there was no denying that he loved God. The Lord took his prized possession and laid it before him. I need a sacrifice. And Abraham didn't hesitate. And the Lord said, do thy son no harm, because he knew that day that Abraham would hold nothing back from him. Abraham had a barren wife that the Lord gave him. So he, Abraham had no children anyways. Well, he had Ishmael, which wasn't the child of the promise. But when you look at the fact that through faith, through believing God, that Isaac came. So, you know, Isaac was only relevant because the Lord gave Abraham a son. It wasn't because Isaac was his idol. Oh, no, no, Lord, I'll give you anything else but not my son. Abraham's like, well, you gave him to me, so ain't nothing to me. Give me the rope. Give me the knife. And the Lord said, no, man, you love me that much. I'm going to send my son for you. And he made him a father of many nations. So out of a barren womb came the children of Israel. You think about that through faith. Because he believed. Now, if he didn't, could have been a different story. Verse 24. See ye then how that my works, I mean, thou by works, a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messages and had sent them out another way. Now, Rahab, before she did this, if you read, um, I think it's uh, Joshua 2, when, you know, she was a harlot in the town in Jericho. Uh, she heard about the children of Israel were coming. She went and told, um, well, she hid two spies for them so that the giants or whatever wouldn't, you know, come and find them. But she did this through faith, risking her own life. She lied and said, I don't know where they are. So they were able to set up, do what they need to do. But it came by hearing. Rahab heard about the things that the children of Israel were doing. So through that came her faith to, to, to put her life on the line, you know, trying to protect God's interest. You know, so we've got to believe him. 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So, you know, I'm, to, to make a long story short, we just need to believe God. If we don't do the will of God, then there's one problem. We don't trust him. Well, there's a few problems. We may not know him, we may not trust him, and we don't believe. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we've got to get through to us. Because, you know, um, every year I'm just praying the Lord gives me more faith. You know, now I, I might try and minister to at least one or two people a day. You know, at work where I'm at now, um, it was funny. I was going to go in the break room and, you know, just enjoy my, my time, you know, and study. And I looked in, and it was crowded with people. So I'm like, man, I can't do any study in there. 
So I was led into another room where I could talk to two other people I didn't even know believed God. Hopefully, if things work out the way we should, that they'll be coming here. But, you know, I spoke to them and another person. But, you know, we just got to be led by the Spirit. Lord, why are you doing this for me? What is my responsibility here? And we can't be afraid to speak of God. If you're ashamed of the Lord, he'll be ashamed of you. That's right. And I love what Teddy Roosevelt said, even though I'm not into humanism. But this one hits the nail on the head when he said, um, the credit belongs to the man that is in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who knows the great uh, devotions, what is it, the great something, and the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best if he wins, knows the thrills of high achievement, but if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. And I think that is key. He said the man in the arena is the man who deserves the, the rewards. And I agree. If you're that person that's out there, you know what it is to win. You know what it is to lose. But the one thing you are not is a dead corpse. You've been there. Okay, I failed. Okay, I've achieved. You know what both sides are, but you cling to what God is calling you. Mm -hmm. Man, never. I mean, it, it's, there's nothing worse than ever wanting to do something in your life. But fear is what kept you from doing it. They said a coward dies a thousand deaths. I believe it because every time you wanted to, you know, like a bully picking on you every day and, man, I want to stand up for myself. But you get sick of this guy taking your lunch money every day, stuffing you face first in the garbage. And you say, you know what, tomorrow morning, even if he kills me, I'm going to fight this guy. You know? And, you know, usually when you stand up to the bully, what happens? He marks you as crazy and he leaves you alone. He'll find someone else to deal with, but... Never knowing what it is to step over that. Never having your chance at bet. How can you call yourself a member of God's team if we don't ever get our chance at bet? Mm -hmm. We may be all one player in the field, but we all have that chance for individual success at the plate with the Lord. Right. Salvation is an individual affair, and we have to work out our own salvation through much fear and trembling. Mm -hmm. Nice baseball reference. What's that? I like it. Which one? Going to bat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard, um, I think Gary Price said that one. I mean, this guy, man, he, there's a lot of stuff that he brings up that I believe in. Uh, let's go to uh, 1 Samuel 17. Let me see what time it is. But you're so right, though. I mean, we got to be in this spiritual warfare. Because we really don't know how much time that we do have left. Like he said, you know, I mean, I know for the things that I say and the things that I do, I could be hauled off to jail tomorrow morning. Right. Then what's going to happen? I'm not saying that I'm the source of anybody's learning. I'm just saying that the work has to go on. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, and this is not like something to build upon, but how much have we studied? Because when they start moving the Bibles away... And they start making it outlaw to read the Bible, then what do we do? Mm -hmm. This word has to live in us. Okay? Because we are all the Lord has. Mm -hmm. We are the church of God. This is the only thing that matters. His battle axe. That's right. We are the light and salt of the earth. First Samuel 17 and verse 1. I'm telling you guys that. And I'm in 2 Samuel. <laughs> Thought something looked weird. <laughs> Martin too. 
1 Samuel 17 and 1, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shokol and uh, belonging to Judah and pitched between Shokol and Azekah in a vestiment. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the uh, valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on one mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them. Man, we had a good uh, breakdown one study. Mm -hmm. I think it was David and Goliath revealed. Yeah. You know, that there's so much symbolism in this that the Lord showed me. I mean, it was pretty good, I think. Um, verse uh, 4. And there went out a champion out of the camp. And the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Interesting thing about the name Goliath, it means splendor. Okay, and Gath is um, wine press. So for splendor, you know, can be anything of the world. You know, this is what the flesh fights against. And this is what the whole Goliath and David thing was all about. Verse 5, and he had a helmet of brass, a helmet of flesh. Look at that. Upon his head, and he was armed uh, with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And his staff, and the staff of his um, spear was like a weaver's beam. And his um, spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out uh, to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine? And ye servants of Saul, choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. So Goliath is like, pretty much, you know, when you be in this thing long enough, you know, I'm learning the devil will call you out and the Lord will allow him to do so. Because you can't just, you know, yap, yap about what you think you know. Eventually you will be put to the test. Let's see if you can walk the talk. So they're all there in battle array looking pretty. You know, like they're there for war. And Goliath is like, man, what's all this delaying about? You know, you gonna, you know how the hood talks. You're going to be about it. You know, they're there. What's all this talking? Ain't nothing but air between us and opportunity. We're going to do this or what? So he's calling them out. They're all in battle array looking like soldiers, but they haven't made a move yet. Why? Because they're servants of salt. So he said, choose you a Phillips, choose you a man, and let's get this thing going. Look at verse 9. If um, he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we'll be, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. So we understand the trade-off here. If you're able to kill the flesh, because this is what Goliath is, if you're able to get past the world and get past the devil, then the flesh will serve you because the spirit will be strong. But if you go for... The, um, allowing the flesh to win, then you're going to be a servant in this body to the world the rest of your life. So this is what the whole fight is, is to subdue the flesh. Where am I, verse 10? Yeah, verse yeah. 10. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that uh, we may fight together. When Saul and Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Why? Because they were spectators. With all that stuff going on, they should have been hardened, ready, and in the battle. Verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephratite, 
and of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And the man went among men, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons uh, that went to the battle were Eliab, um, the firstborn, and next unto Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest of the three eldest of followed Saul. You ever notice how the youngest is always the blessed child? Mm -hmm. If you even look at um, David being the youngest in his family. Oh, Laura. You guys touch, but, <laughs> no, right? but it always seems like, you know, if you look at Jacob and Esau, Jacob was the one who came out second. He was the blessed. You look at Cain and Abel. Abel was the good one. Cain was the firstborn. So it's always like the the um, even with the children of Israel, we read mm -hmm. he had to wait for a generation to come, a younger one to take the land. Yeah, that's right. All right. So Dave, uh, but David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at, uh, at Bethlehem, and the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself forty days, and Jesse said unto David his son. Take now for thy brethren an ephah of, of this parched corn, and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their, of their thousand, and look how thy brother fare, and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel uh, were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep, with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench uh, as the host uh, was going forth to fight. And he shouted for, and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David let his carriage in the uh, hand of a keeper uh, of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, um, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. So they were afraid of Goliath. So they were there for, you know, show. They weren't there to go. Verse 25, And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that come that is come up? Surely to defy Israel is to come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter to make his father's house free of Israel. This is a mouthful, because they're talking about defying Israel. Let's just say Israel is the kingdom of God. They said if you're able to kill this man, which is, could be your flesh, the king will give him riches and his daughter. So if you look at this, David is a type of Christ. He was sent by his father into the battle. David came in. You know, he heard his instructions. You subdue the flesh. Look at what you can get. Christ fasted for 40 days. He died on the cross. But he said the gift will be he will have his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So won't we be that bride that marries Christ if we can subdue this flesh? Mm -hmm. This is speaking to us. Mm -hmm. But that's when the riches comes. As long as the flesh rests on you, you can't get to the spirit. Right. Verse 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, 
What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away his reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So David's talking tough. I mean, you know, this is the way we should feel because homosexuality in church, homosexuality, um, homosexual weddings, all these things going on. Man, we should feel like who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Excuse me. To defy God, to defy the armies of the living God, that we can actually allow this. The fact that we have, um, you know, watched this happen, prayer out of schools. I mean, so many things being set up and we can just sit back and watch people mock Christ, you know, wear things, have tattoos, make all kinds of comments about they question if he existed. Man, this is David here saying, man, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? Now notice, Goliath called Saul's men, men of Saul. He never called them the army of God. Because even Goliath, I think, knew if they were the army of God, they would be up here fighting me. So they clearly don't believe in their God. They believe in their church, which you would say modern day. They are servants of whatever pastor you're under. Because if you're a servant of Christ, you're going to do the will of Christ. You're going to be in the battle with Christ. Okay, so... This is a big distinction between what's being done and what's not being done. Where am I? 27? Yeah, so David asked the question. 27, and the people answered him after this man is saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard uh, when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left of those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and thy naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come, come down that thou mightest see the battle. So the funny thing is here is just like Gary Price said, I hate to keep bringing him up, but he said that church people are crazy. I'm not saying every church, but if you haven't noticed in some circles, you present the truth to them and they get mad at you. You see all the mouth that church people have against one another, even Christians. One of us in here can make a comment and immediately one of us would know. If you look at Jeremiah 2, you know, it says blah, blah, blah. We have all this mouth for each other. But the world here is calling your God a joke. And we won't even get in the fight. We won't even stand for Christ. So this is typical about Christians eating their own. They are the only people that will eat their own, or church people, I would say, religious folk. So while David could be, while he could be directing this to the Philistine, he's mad at his brother David for having the courage to stand up against Goliath. Mm -hmm. Verse 29, and David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause to defend your God? Mm -hmm. Verse 30, and he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner and the people answered him again after the former manner and when the words were heard which David spake they rehearsed him before Saul and he sent for him and David said to Saul let no man's heart fail because of him thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine and Saul said unto David thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. So if this is our flesh, look at this, how he said, you're not able to go against him. 
Like we might be new in Christ, you know, just finding the truth in Christ and we're learning to walk this thing out. But your flesh has been a thorn in your side from your youth. So that question would be asked, man, you're so natural. You're so used to the things of the flesh. Man, how are you going to change your life and go against this? Look at how this can even be compared. How can you now, after all your years of living in the world, you mean to say you're going to turn away from all that and follow Christ? Man, that seems like a big giant, right? Can't be done. But this is what this can even be asked of what David here is saying, or what uh, he's saying to David. All right, verse 34, And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. So this is David's guts that he has. The reason why he's not afraid of a Goliath is because long before his calling came to do this, David was already in the fight. He already knew what it was to protect the sheep against wolves. He took on a lion. He took on a bear which is symbolic for what the Christians are going to have to take soon. We're going to deal with a powerful army, you know, like the Persians, like the bear. And we're going to have to deal with that lion, the mouth speaking great things, which is witchcraft that we're dealing with in Babylon. Mm -hmm. We have to subdue this stuff. That's right. But, you know, David's resume was, hey, I took on a lion and a bear. So David was someone that was already a participant. He wasn't a spectator. You know, you can't be a shepherd and be a spectator or you'll have no sheep. Verse 36, thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go and the, and, and the Lord be with you. Now, Saul's supposed to be a king. Okay, Goliath was their champion. He was their king, pretty much. He was out there calling the shots. So how come Saul didn't go man to man with him? Saul was a spectator. He wasn't a participator. Mm -hmm. So you see, it's not about your office. It's not about your position. It's not about where the Lord places you. It's about what's in you. Now, David had the experience of Christ to pursue Christ, to believe in God. Because I believe that was Christ of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. All right, so um, verse uh, 38. And Saul armed David uh, with uh, armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword uh, upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off. Because when David dealt with the lion and the bear, all he had was the Lord. Mm -hmm. Saul's trying to put an army, uh, a helmet of uh, brass on his head, and brass symbolizes flesh. Now, if Goliath walked in the flesh, what is David looking like walking in the flesh to defeat a fleshly enemy? You're going to go against the world. And you see this all the time with people like Alex Jones and all these others. They love to fight against the New World Order. But they're fighting against a system that they themselves are a part of. The only way to go against the system is to be extracted like Christ and to go against this thing not attached to any of it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's going with the Lord. He's not going with carnal physical weapons. Verse 40, And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones 
I believe those five stones of grace, they can also be the five, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The five offices of the um, ministry, you know, that Christ set forth. Um, I, there's several things. We'd have to look at that old teaching to go over it, but it says five stones uh, out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag. And he had even uh, in a script and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. So you don't see David backing off. He's going forward. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, uh, he disdained him. For he uh, was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou, have, that thou comest to me with staffs? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come, um, you know, he wanted to feed him to the flesh. Um, I don't want to go, I'll go to verse 45 and I'll move on. Uh, then said David to the Philistine, thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, of the God of the armies of Israel, and whom thou hast defied. So when you know that the world is against Christ and you are for Christ, Man, what do we look like being in fear, doing anything for the Lord? We are on the winning side of everything that is necessary, everything that we're going to need. But we cannot do it if we're hooked into this world. As long as we're in this world, we will be spectators and yeah. not be participators in Christ. Mm -hmm. When um, you read the story of Joshua in Joshua 5, remember he said, This day the Lord, remember this day the Lord had brought you out of the wilderness. And he circumcised them again to take mm -hmm. the Egypt off of them. You guys remember that? Mm -hmm. To take Egypt off of them because he knew that that couldn't remain if they're going to conquer the promised land. The only way that we're ever going to move forward is to detach ourselves from this world. And we can begin by giving Christ a piece of everything we own. He'll tell you what you can have and he'll tell you what should go. Second Corinthians chapter, um, I mean, Second Timothy chapter four and we're done. Like you said before, many people think that they want to enter into heaven <coughs> the way that they are. But if we're not giving Christ our first fruit, if we're not willing to be those vessels and have him grown in us and to get to that perfection level that keeps us from sinning, mm -hmm. heaven would be hell because we'd still have that fleshly sinful nature on us and it's not compatible That's with right. heaven. So we have to be made over in Christ Jesus and everything that we do. I don't even have the heat on, and it's kind of warm in here. <laughs> you guys feel it? My sweater's like a blanket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keeps you warm. Did you say first or second? Second Timothy. Chapter what? Four. Four. Thank you. All right, and he says, Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. I know we've gone over this, but no time like now to read it. Verse 2, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. This is key, being instant got to be instant. Keep that flame lit. Mm -hmm. Stay before the Lord fasting, prayer, and teaching, and learning. 
You never know when the Lord may call your number. Mm -hmm. There may be a tragedy. There may be a situation. Someone hit by a train. They're laying there. And the Lord may say, go lay hands on them. Now, if you don't believe, then you're going to disobey. Man, that can't happen. But if we believe, the Lord can bring us into different arenas while we're ready. Mm -hmm. We believe God. The reason why God won't use some of us is because we're afraid to speak. Mm -hmm. But if he knows that we would say anything he told us to, the Lord will get you a pass into the White House so you can tell them what they need to hear. Mm -hmm. Because he knows you're going to say these words the way I'm telling you to. That's right. you got to be bold in Christ. He said, from the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. We've got to fight our way in. Mm -hmm. This is no easy walk. Verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they keep to themselves teachers having itching ears. This is what's made the church stagnant. I like to make you laugh. I like to make you, you know, feel great about yourself. I don't care about anybody's self-esteem in here. Mm -hmm. I want everybody to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's right. Because if you Christ conscious, you don't care about self, mm -hmm. you know. So that's the biggest thing. Verse 4. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. He said full proof. So you know for sure. Verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. You know, we've gone over this. Paul is dying in prison. <laughs> Verse 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord of the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Now, if you ain't doing the will of God, you know, you don't want to see him come because you know you're not ready. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we have to make our calling and election sure. You guys can read in your spare time. It's Luke um, 9. Uh, verses 51 to 62, where Jesus talked about that anyone that doesn't keep their hand to the plow is not worthy of the kingdom of God. Meaning that if you turn back from work, if you turn back from doing his will, that you're not worthy. You know, Philippians chapter 3 talks about the enemies of the cross. We have a lesson coming up on that because the enemies of the cross are, is anything in this world that won't let you die. That can be children, that can be husband, that can be wife, that can be good friends, that can be your job. When the Lord is telling you, subdue your flesh, and you got something hanging on to you, trying to make you have fun, trying to keep you from going into the promised land, the Lord may allow that person to get in and you not. Remember, two will be lying in the bed, one taken, the other left. Two grinding at the mill, one taken, the other left. So just because we're around believers don't mean we're getting in. We have to make our calling and election sure. Because what am I going to say to the Lord? Oh, Lord, um, I know Pastor Gary Price. will say, lovely. But what have you done for me? So that's the biggest thing is knowing what the Lord wants us to do. Pray and fast. Lord, what do you want me to do? The answers may surprise you. And he may place his anointing on you if you believe him. Man, go out there and do what he's telling you to do. And that, that's why we go into so much scripture because we, I know one day this will not be made available. Mm -hmm. We won't be able to just sit here and have it like this. So we want to have enough of the word in us that we can say in the end times when the false prophets are everywhere, the Antichrist spirit is everywhere. We want to be able to say, man, that's not true. Because John 10 says blah, blah, blah. That's how you want to be. 
But if we don't read this, they can switch up two or three words. And we'll say, I think that's right. And we'll go along with it. So we have to keep the word of God in us. We've got to know what his calling is. But those that will not allow you to die, they are the enemies of the cross. And we've got to know that. We have to die so Christ can live. Right. And then we'll be no longer spectators, but we will be participants. We have to participate. We've got to know God. But we've got to trust God. Because our lack of participation only shows, and I'm not talking about participating here. I mean doing anything that the Lord calls you to do. Our lack of participation only tells us that we lack faith. Mm -hmm. Because we believe if we do go out, Christ won't come. If we do speak, he won't speak with us. Never rely on your own strength. We've got the crown jewel, and his name is Christ Jesus. That's right. So if no one has anything to add, any questions or anything they want to say, um, guess we can close out. You know, everybody good, right? We get it. All right, we'll turn it around. All right, go ahead, sir. Heavenly Father, I want to come to you tonight, and I want to thank you again for another day that you've given to us. Lord Jesus Christ, I want to thank you for all the things that you've done for us, everything that you've blessed us with and bestowed upon us, Lord. For you have always taken care of every need. You have blessed us beyond measure. Lord, you have never left us nor forsaken us. You've never broken a promise with us, Lord, no matter how many times, Lord, on a daily, hourly, secondly basis, Lord, we have broken your heart. Lord, and I pray that in everything that we do, Lord, it is to glorify and honor the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Lord, I am praying that we will work out our own salvation with you with fear and trembling. That we will want to be sanctified, Lord. That we will want to get to that level of perfection that keeps us from sinning. To truly be born again into the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, let your Holy Spirit fall upon us. That we will be complete in you. Lord, that we can have the gifts of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That we can, in the name of Jesus, only by the name of Jesus, raise the dead, heal the sick, open blind eyes, deaf ears, and speak in new tongues. Lord, I believe that these things can be done in our lives, but we have to have the faith and the belief to go forward. To push past what the enemy says that we cannot do. Lord, your word says... If the truth be hid, it's a hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Lord, I am praying that we will want to be changed according to your scriptures. If we're doing anything in our life, Lord, that does not go according to your scriptures, to your holy word, Jesus Christ, that we will come before you, that we will give it to you, that we will not place any idols in front of you, Lord. If we are afraid... To talk to people about you, Lord Jesus Christ, that is an idol. Fear is an idol. So, Lord, help us, all of us, Jesus Christ, every single one of us. Let us seek your calling upon our life. 
within the body of Christ. Let us know that we take the body of Christ everywhere we go, not just on the nights that we meet, but every encounter, every place that you put us in, Lord, whether it's at work, whether it's at a restaurant, wherever we go, Lord, let us have you fully grown in us to have that communication with you, Lord, to know that every opportunity that we have is a it's an opportunity to bring someone into the kingdom of heaven. That is our mission here, Lord, as followers of you, Jesus Christ. That is our mission while we are here. Let us have that settled within us, Lord, with the time that we have left. Because we don't know how much time that we have left, Lord. And we cannot waste another minute of it on self. Let us all, Lord... Live a life of prayer and fasting. To kill off that old sensual, soulish nature that keeps us from going into the promised land. To live in the Spirit, Lord, because that is where you are. You are in the Spirit. That is where we need to get. Help us, Lord. Anything that's going on in our life, whether it be finances, marriage, family, whatever it is, Lord, let us come to you. That we will not live below our godly inheritance to seek your anointing upon us. Thank you, Lord, because you deserve all the praise, the glory, and the honor. Because, Lord, you have placed us on the path of the straight and narrow. Let us continue to go forward. Let us continue to run the race that you have set us, that you have set before us, that we will not give up, that we will not be weary in well doing. That we will take up our cross and follow Jesus Christ in everything that we do. I pray, Lord, help us. Let us know that we can find true joy and peace with all the present evil that's going on around us by doing your will in everything. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that in all things, in all manner of thought and conversation, let us glorify the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Let us sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Build us up every day, Lord, to bring lost souls to you. Help us to see and understand the spiritual warfare that's going on around us, that we will take on the full armor of God, because that is our defense against the enemy. Guide and direct and lead us into your truths and into all truths. Place your shield of protection around us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mm. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.